I received a number of letters last year, particularly after the, uh, the death of my good friend. And I want to share about one in particular. It was from my friend David. He, he lives in North Africa. He's a pastor there. And he and I would have never become friends, uh, except that our wives have been very close friends since college. And so through our wives, we've got to know each other. We actually have a lot in common. Uh, we, uh, we like each other. We're both, uh, we're both pastors. We both love fishing. Uh, so we've been able to hang out. And I've got to know him and his family a bit through the years. So I got this. So I opened this card, and there's a big trout on the front of it. And I knew, I knew it was a good one right away. Um, so a big, beautiful brook trout there. And, uh, and he just points to a passage of Scripture that God has been using in his life, speaking to him, lifting him up. His father died unexpectedly this past summer. And he was uh, grieving and journeying with God through that grief and with God's word. And, um, he, and then he also included this letter uh, in, inside the note. And he was talking about his journey of grief and of faith. He described it as a potent mix of gratitude and gloom. And then uh, the bottom of this letter is a prayer for me. So he was praying how God might uh, fill me and restore me, that God might fill me with confidence in the hope and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And he prays that the immensity of God's glory uh, and his goodness would carry me through darkness. And this morning, so I reread that this morning, and I, I just, I wept at the, uh, his love for me, his, his love of the Lord, uh, his shared experience, and I don't know if you've ever gotten a, a special letter from a friend at just the right moment. Uh, there's times in our lives, maybe a time of, for you, of confusion or sadness, and there's times when we ask the question, you know, is there anything I can be certain of in this world? And what you need in that moment is just that letter from a friend, a friend who loves you, who knows you, who knows what you're going through, a friend who can remind you of, of what you might be in danger of forgetting yourself. This is uh, Philippians. The letter in our New Testament the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Philippi, we call Philippians, this letter. Uh, it's, we are opening a very personal letter. The letter is just very tender and very thoughtful. It's, it's an encouragement to these young Christians uh, in the city of Philippi. You know, and, and we're going to be spending the rest of the winter, really right up until Palm Sunday, focusing and considering this letter uh, from Paul to his friends. So why, why right now? Why are we studying this particular letter in this particular season? Uh, one is we've just we've never preached through this letter before in, my, in, in recent history. So in the last 15 years that I've been part of this church, I don't recall us preaching through this letter, although we've preached through most of the, uh, the rest of the New Testament. And we need to... We need to preach all of God's word, and we've—it's—it's it's a joy to um, to consider new things together and, and focus in on areas of, of our faith and of who God is together that we haven't spent a lot of time. In. So, uh, so some of it is we just haven't done this. If we want to live out our faith and live it out excellently, we need to know God's word. Um, selfishly, joy is 
is, um, is something I, I want more of. I don't know about you. We, we are people who need to have joy in our lives and exhibit joy, and God has uh, provided that. And I think winter is a great season to consider joy. People, people get you know, seasonal affective issues, and, um, and, and, and there's a lot of grief. And it's just, it, these are just going to be really encouraging. This is a very encouraging letter. And these are encouraging words for us to dwell on in a season that can, can be dark, literally and, and figuratively. So the other thing, too, is that you know, this congregation is growing with new Christians. There are people coming to faith and growing in their faith. And this is a great book for new Christians because it considers these core elements of following Jesus, core elements of discipleship. So for people who are new to the faith, who are reconnecting with their faith, and also for, you know, long-time followers of Jesus Christ who are fully, becoming fully devoted to Jesus Christ, are, this this is great, essential truth to to reconnect with. So this is good for us. And uh, and it's a tender letter instead of, some of the writings of the New Testament, which are more, you know, rebuking and, you know, a lot of correcting. Um, it, tenderness of a pastor to a flock. And that, that, I like that. So if you want more rebuking, you can call me and I, we can set up a private session for that. <laughs> but there is some correction in this letter, too. We'll get to that. But the background, quickly, before we jump into it, into this part of the, the beginning of the letter... Uh, in, in, the, in your Bible, in Acts chapter 16, describes the founding of this church when the, the Apostle Paul shows up. I chuckle because it's, it's such a crazy story. He, was, he didn't even intend to go into Macedonia, but just divine inspiration leads them there instead of going to Asia, you know, towards Asia where they had um, intended to go. They go to Philippi, and this is the first time the good news of Jesus Christ is entering into ancient Europe. And it's, so that's pretty exciting spread of this good news. And Philippi, at the time of the writing of this letter, it's a, it's a Roman colony. It was a famous site of, of military battles. So there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of retired veterans in this city. Not retired veterans like Pastor Brian, uh, who are really nice and friendly, but, you know, gr- real grumpy retired veterans who are living off their a military pension. It's an urban type of a place, fairly well populated. Not a huge place, but but fairly urban. Uh, and it was an important location. It's right on a uh, an important trade route. It, it's therefore, as cities become that are you know where a lot of different people are intersecting life. It's a very pluralistic kind of a place, and it's it's kind of a rough. Place And if you read in Acts 16, you get a sense of how they felt towards outsiders and towards these, you know, to these Jewish people who were, you know, spreading this new thing. And it was uh, changing things in their town. They didn't like that. So it was, it was kind of a, a, a rocky place for the gospel. Not unlike New England, I would say, in certain respects. But I don't want to, you know, make too much of that. Um, so Paul's writing from prison, and likely a prison in Rome. And the question today is, why is he so encouraged? Why is he so positive about connecting with these people, with these new Christians in this church that he had planted just a few years earlier? And as we look at it, I want to look at, really, the joy is stemming from something that happened 
at the beginning, in the past, something that he was experiencing right there in the moment, and something that was to be experienced in the future. So there was a past, present, and a future element to this joy. So let's pray as we, as we consider, consider this letter. Father, you are good, and in your goodness to us, you have given us your word, and we have these, these precious writings inspired by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that with the illumination, with the light of the Holy Spirit, that we would look into it and see your heart, to see who you are, and to, to see who we are as well, Lord. You know our hearts better than we do, so we pray that in this time you would be searching our hearts and showing us what you want to show us. We give this time to you. We pray your blessing over it. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So here we have an introduction to the letter. And the first thing is really a focus on what God did in the past. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's filled with this great joy. And the, I want to pause on this word a little bit. So this word joy in the verb form rejoice, we're going to see every couple paragraphs of this letter, you're going to see the word joy, and you're going to see the word rejoice keep coming up. And we, we're calling this whole sermon series Bound for Joy. So you have Paul in prison. So this is the chains but this sort of a like happiness, so bound in the two senses. I'm a dad, and I love wordplay and, and, and all these things, so um, I, I stole that title from someone else anyway. But, um, but as believers, we are bound, heading for this joy, but yet at the same time, he's in prison and experiencing this thing. Joy is a fruit of the work of God's Spirit on the life of the believer. That joy is something that God's Spirit produces in us. But today, we use the word joy, it kind of a cheap, it can be kind of a cheap word for us today. Uh, today, many people, when they speak of joy, they're talking about just their uh, a comfort or a pleasure because they have agree something agreeable is happening. Oh, I have joy. Or they mean a thrill. Like, oh, that was a joy because it made my heart kind of flutter. But as soon as the flutter goes away, the joy kind of subsides. And, and we even, it's, it's, used as the name for a dishwashing liquid. So in the, you know, in the kitchen back here, there's a thing of joy. Oh, yay, the dishes are sparkly, you know, and that brings something to me. And obviously, we're talking about something uh, in Scripture here that is far... I mean, I love clean dishes as much as the next guy, but for Paul, joy was about a satisfaction, a deep satisfaction that the good news of Jesus was advancing in the world around him which at times, as he was part of that advancement, was quite personally inconvenient. For example, being in prison, being beaten. Yet in the midst of that, this joy is just resonating in his life. And so it's, and it's resonating because of this partnership in the gospel. So partnership of the gospel... Now, again, the word gospel means the good news, good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done. It's an announcement of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And these people became a partner in that. So it wasn't just that he went to this place and proclaimed what Jesus did, and they believed it. They had some sort of um, mental assent. Yes, I agree. But it led them to action. 
So these were people who were, by their actions, partners from the very beginning. Uh, they had a close ministry connection. They were, um, they were, they joined in. They were, they were faithful, as we'll look later in the letter, to supporting Paul financially. So they, they aligned their priorities. They aligned their financial resources. They aligned their lives in action in response to the good news of Jesus with Paul. So they were, they were ministry partners. And, and this isn't a, a really well-to-do church. It was, again, if you, if you look back, it was, it was really a crazy mix of different types of people. But they, they responded with faith and action. So this woman, Lydia, was the, probably the, the first convert in Philippi. and She was, she was probably more well-to-do. She was a businesswoman. But... She believed this message of Jesus, and she immediately opens her home for fellowship. Again, it was the belief and the action. There was a jailer, a, a, a Philippian jailer, who, when he came to faith, when he, when he saw the faith of Paul and Silas, and he, he put his faith in Jesus and, and the rest of his family, he brought them into his home, and he washed Paul's wounds and, and gave him a meal. And it was just actions and attitudes that brought about this partnership. And it was Jesus' priorities become their priorities. For us today, that is a joy of faith, that we have gospel partnerships, that we have, we're not alone in this. We don't just believe it and go off on our way, but we work together. We serve together in ministry. We gather in small groups together. This is why we put such a high priority on our group life, because we need these gospel partnerships because that fosters the joy, because we're sharing in this together. It's not that we just all believe the same thing. We, we, we do. We share faith, and we all commit to the same uh, faith in Jesus Christ, and that's important, but it, it leads us to work together. And God started this beautiful thing in the past, and what a beautiful reflection here in verse 6, where he says, this God who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The reason the beginning is so beautiful is because that was just the beginning, and God finishes what he starts. I don't know if, if, if you still, if any of you are into jigsaw puzzles. It seems kind of old-timey, old-fashioned. We still, in our family, we, uh, we still love Jigsaw puzzles. I don't love them as much as my kids do, but we, we do. Uh, we've got one going right now in the basement. And, you know, you dump out the jigsaw puzzle and you, you get everything right side up. But they, there's just no way to make it all fit together. You've got to have a starting point. You go right for the corners. So you find your four corners and you find all the straight edges and you build a frame and it takes almost no time. Then you've got the whole rest of the puzzle to figure out where everything else fits into this frame. But at least you have the frame in place. And you know that everything in this pile is going to fit into this frame, and we're all going to work together to get them to fit. But that frame is the important piece. And, you know, somebody maybe starts to do something off to the side, but it doesn't, you know, you got to bring it into the frame. you got to make it fit. And here, the reminder from Paul is you got to keep Jesus Christ as your framework. you got to keep, you know, keep the corners in place, keep those sides solid. So you, so this picture on the box God, all the pieces will fit. It's going to happen. God is going to finish 
what he started. This is beautiful picture, but don't forget, everything that you're experiencing, it may feel chaotic, but the pieces are going in, and it's going to be finished. And it's a reminder, too, that what was begun was begun by God. It's his good work. Sometimes the way we describe faith is much more about what we do. You say, oh, this person put their faith in Jesus, or they made a decision to follow, or they, they took a step of faith. And if, I'm, if I reach out and if I'm holding on to God's hand, I can let go at any time. I could accidentally let go. But if the God of the universe is holding my hand, totally different. If, if, if God is the one putting those pieces together, totally different. This is a God, even though we deserve death and hell because of sin, because we have violated God's law, we have gone our own way, yet he reconciles us to himself through Jesus' work on the cross his work. We've got to remember that it was him who began the good work. But also remember that God finishes what he starts, so we don't, we're in his hands. He won't lose his grip on us. He's making us into that new creation, that beautiful picture on the box, so to speak, that he's doing that, and he will finish it. And you right now might need that reminder to say, you know, whatever chaos you're feeling, that God isn't going to leave it unfinished. That God is a God who finishes what he starts. And that's why the beginning is, brings so much joy as Paul thinks about his connection with these people. Second thing. So it's what God, was, what God had started in the past. It's also what was being experienced right there in the moment. We see this really in, intensely in verses 7 and 8. Uh, I'm going to read this again. Verse 7, it says, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify just how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The reason here, what Paul is experiencing in the present, in his, in prison, is that there is a joy because there is a heart-level connection with these people. That not even being separated from them uh, by many miles and, and by being confined could take that away. Yes, he's sad he's not with them, but he has them in his heart every day. And in the midst of the struggles of life, we have uh, a heart connection with other people who share God's grace to carry us through. Now, this is where it gets a little touchy-feely, you may say. And, fine, it's a little touchy-feely. Um, most of the, and actually, if you just read the rest of Paul's letter. He's not always this affectionate, talking about how I have you in my heart, and all that, just very uh, emotional, personal language. But this is so important because when you realize how fragile life is and how precious God's grace is and that we, as we share God's grace, as you have experienced God's grace and I have and now we are connected, that it unites us in a way that is so unique and significant and beautiful. 
we share God's grace. And it brings about this deep affection. I feel an affection towards my Christian friends that I just is, it just surpasses that of my friends who have not experienced God's grace. Sorry, I, I like you more, you know. Um, and I meet Christians, you may have had this experience, maybe at work or if you're traveling, and you meet somebody and you realize you're both Christians, that you just have this, there's just this instant bond of somebody who you wouldn't otherwise connect with. Oh, you're a, you've experienced God's grace too. There's just, it gets, it's exciting. Oh, it's good to meet you. Tell me about your church. Tell, t- you know, tell me about your story. How did you meet Jesus? It's just this, it's this deep heart level connection. And what this shows us about following Jesus is that there's a toughness and a tenderness that we hold hand in hand. That we are people who need tough skin but soft hearts. So here's a man who, you, you know, you've got to have the, tough, the toughness to survive prison, yet in the midst of it, this beautiful tenderness. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have you in my heart. And we need people in our lives who have that kind of heart-level connection. And again, this is, why, this is why we connect with one another here on Sundays, but throughout the week, and just that if you haven't experienced that, this is a deep need that we all have. And I, and I, I want to speak to those of you who this doesn't sound that appealing to. I'm speaking to a number of, of men, uh, but women as well. Um, say, look, I appreciate that many people in this church gather into little groups during the week, but I don't need people to sit around with and, uh, and cry and share, you know, share my emotions with, you know, talk about my emotions, cry together. Now, you here last week, Abby shared a great message, and he said, you know, sometimes you just need to cry it out, and that's true. And the reality is, this is the reality of life. Everyone you love will die. Everything you hold dear, these things you hold dear in life will be lost. If you live to, live to a long age, you will likely lose even your mind and your capacity to even care for yourself. Um, and the reality, so there's all these, that's kind of the reality of, of life and death. But there's also the reality that we have a heart-level sickness, that sin in our lives really harms our heart. And we need people with a heart-level connection so that we can connect and, and wrestle with that sickness as God is healing us, so that we can walk together and grow together. That's why it's so important. So Paul, essentially, he's saying here, the result of the, that heart-level connection is whether I'm in chains or whether I'm out working hard defending and confirming this good news of Jesus, I know that I'm not alone. I'm sharing a way of life with other people. And it's the affection of Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus who laid down his life for his people that we might live. So if you feel like that sounds too touchy-feely, look at the cross. You know, Jesus nailed and and his, his... body given and his blood shed, and we will celebrate communion today and remember his body and his blood given for us. That's not touchy-feely. That's, that's war. That is, uh, that is true love and pouring out life. But Paul, in the midst of his 
confinement was experiencing that. So God had begun something so good in the past, he's experiencing this heart-level connection. And, and lastly, um, what God will bring in the future. We see this in verse 9 and following. Let me read this again. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The prayer here is that your love, this love that you have for one another, your love in the Lord would just grow more and more, and that you would have knowledge and insight. That's an interesting word, insight. This is the only place in the New Testament scriptures that uses this word insight. But in other Greek literature, it, it really means moral insight. It's, it's knowing what's the right action in the, any given situation. So as we grow in our love and in our faith, our knowledge of God, we now have an ability not just to discern good from evil, but how do we discern good, better, and best? Some people see everything. It's black and white. This is either right or wrong. And other people see everything is relative, everything is gray. And we could either be legalistic or relativistic, but with God's insight, we can know in a situation what is good, what is better, and what is God's best. So that, verse 10, so that you may be able to know what is best, what is important, what is most important, what is not important. What are the things I just need to let go and move on from? And what is God calling me to focus on? People, there's so many good things out there, especially as a church. There's so many good things we could do. And people come up and say, well, here's a good thing. Why aren't we doing it? And I say, well, there's, there's other things that are good and better. This is, you know, God has equipped us in a certain way and, and gifted us. And, well, why don't you do this good thing? Well, we, we're, there's a lot of good things. It's not just about choosing good and evil. That's almost an easier Okay, let's avoid evil and do good things. But what good things is God calling us to do today? So we can know what is best in verse 10. And the second result of this is that we can be pure and blameless. So this knowledge of God and the insight that he gives us, it leads to purity. It's a purifying kind of a thing in our lives. So it starts with love. It leads to discernment, understanding, and it brings about this purity and this righteousness. Pure relative to heart and our motives, blameless in terms of our action, and, you know, there's, the, the criticism could be, well, you're one way on Sunday in church, but then you're a whole nother way on Monday, and they, there can be no Sunday-Monday divide in the life of the believer, no sacred-secular divide, that we are people who God is working in us to make us pure and blameless. What a beautiful prayer. Can, Think of people who you could pray this for. You know, I pray that your love might grow, you grow in knowledge and insight, that you'd be able to discern what's best, that you'd be pure and blameless. What a beautiful prayer for, for someone else, for your spouse, or pray this for your children, or pray it for me. And can I pray this for you, that this would be a reality in our lives? This is something that God desires to do. Look at the third result here, verse 11. Filled with the, it's, so it's not just 
But the first result is that you'll know what's best and then you'll be pure and blameless and then also filled with the fruit of righteousness. We can live fruitful, righteous lives. But then, of course, we're reminded right away that this fruit comes through Jesus and it's to the glory of God. So it's not a self-righteousness. It comes from Jesus, his work in our hearts, and the glory goes back to God. So we don't have a righteousness that's our own, but something that he's producing in us. Um, So this is very practical, too. Where in your life today do you need God's insight? My guess is if you're here and, and you're living life, that you are making decisions every day, decisions about your life and decisions about relationship and decisions at work and and for work and decisions in your family. Where do you need this? Because God, as as our love grows, our love for one another, our love for him, that his wisdom and understanding uh, will will come right in. Next week, you're going to hear, somebody's going to be sharing their testimony on video. And it was somebody who was invited to a small group 10 years ago and said no and then feels that she's wasted about 10 years of her life because she's now connected with other believers and is searching God's word with friends. And she said, how can we know anything if we don't know what, how can we know what God wants if we don't know his word? So now I have people to search that with so I can actually know these things and actually make decisions. God could give his wisdom to you just, you know, whatever you're, Thinking about God could just, boom, supernatural, the, the wisdom comes. But just as supernaturally, God has called us to be a family together to help one another grow in this insight and in this wisdom together. So these are the things that brought Paul joy. These are the things that were true in, in his life, and they're things that are true for us that can bring us joy as well. It was that God has started something beautiful in you, and God will bring it to completion. It's that we can have a heart-level connection with one another because we're all people sharing in God's grace together and that our love can grow more and more in knowledge and insight that we can know God's best for our lives. And may we be people who experience God's joy. May it be to his glory and praise. Amen.